Folks, good morning. Uh, my name is David McCullough. I'm the assistant minister here at Kirkpatrick Memorial uh, to let you know if you're visiting with us. This past week, I've been listening to uh, a few uh, MP3s teaching me, continuing to teach me how to preach. And uh, one of the things that a guy, Tim Keller, uh, in one of these little uh, sermons that he was given said, always think of the question that your congregation is thinking and then ask it out loud. So to answer your question, no, Christoph and I do not phone each other up to see what we're wearing on a particular day. We do not have a dress code here in Kirkpatrick. And uh, that was what was running through my mind, just sitting there thinking, hmm. We come this morning uh, to think of the third commandment. Whenever we had thought that we were going to look at the commandments and to to really tackle them one by one in a congregational context, it was a little bit daunting for me. I come from a church tradition down in the south of Northern Ireland that teaches very much obedience to the letter of the law of the commandments. This is my first time preaching on one of the commandments, and as I've been listening and studying and working through this, my eyes have been open to what the reality is to these uh, commandments, this list that has been given to us by God. So as we come, can we take a moment and let's present ourselves before God in preparation for how he will open all of our eyes to what he has to say to us. Let's pray. Father, we recognize that everything in Scripture is given by you so that we can know you more and love you more. I pray that you will help us this morning as we think through what it means to uphold your name. I pray that you will help us to know what it means in life, that as we live each day, we will give you the, the praise and the honor that is due because of your name. Help us to think of this as we come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what's in a name? According to many websites out there, and of course it always depends on which website you go to, no one is the definitive. The popular names of 2010 for our girl were Sophie, followed by Isabel, Emily, Olivia, and Lily. On the boys, fitting for this morning, Joshua was the number one name of 2010, followed by Jack, Harry, Oliver, Charlie. So those were the popular names of 2010. I've never had to come to that moment where I have to decide what a name is going to be on anything besides a teddy bear or something like that, but a name that was going to last, a name that meant something. I'm sure many of you have, and you've taken time to think through, well, what will be an appropriate name? What will the name mean? We take time and we spend time to think it through. I was given the name David, which comes from Hebrew, which means beloved. Whether it matches anything of my character, I, I don't know. But if we were to go and investigate each of our names, we would discover that it has a meaning. And it comes from normally a, a culture or a tradition from many, many years ago. So your name, it means something. Your name is very important to you. One of the things that grates me in life is when people say, Hello, Mr. McCulloch. Because clearly my name is McCullough, which is the Irish for the Scottish McCulloch. 
It does irk me. I don't know why, but it does. Because our names mean something. They're precious to us. My name has a family attachment. It's generational. It means that I follow in the line of people who have gone before me. Their history, their culture, although it may not directly affect who I am today by the society I live in, their name still means something to me because I am in a line of people who have shared the same name. Over the past number of years, I've had to look at my passport. As you look at your passport, you're given your full names. But there's also another name in the passport. I don't know if you've ever taken the time to read the front of the passport. It's thrilling reading. If you have a British passport, it says, Her Britannic Majesty, Secretary of State, requires and requests in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. So as you travel with one of these, I did try and get an Irish passport in case there are folks who travel on on an Irish one, what it says in there, but uh, I couldn't get it in time. But it says in this passport that wherever I go, I go with a name, not just the name that I was given at birth, but the name of my sovereign, my earthly sovereign, who through her government and different channels of uh, the diplomatic corps say that I should have free passage in free countries under her name and be allowed such protection as any of her subjects would be allowed. So my name is important to me, but when I go under others' names, it's also important. Names are important. They mean something. I was watching an episode of Faulty Towers recently, and in one of the first episodes they ever made, uh, Faulty is uh, trying to increase uh, the clientele at Faulty Towers. And so he advertises in a, a very high-ranking social magazine because he wants to get the people with the names. So if he gets a lord or a lady or a baron or someone like that, it means there's a higher class. So with a name, Faulty is thinking, will come prestige. Turns out the lord that he gets is a con man, and really the name means nothing. But we associate certain names with power, whether it be a prime minister or whether it be a sovereign or a president or even a name in itself that from history, Alexander the Great, Alexander seems to us a strong name because of its historical attachments. Names mean something. Let me take one more moment to really share with you something that Nelson Mandela said about his name. Apart from life, a strong constitution and abiding connection to the Tembe royal house, the only thing my father bestowed upon me at birth was my name, Raiholela. In Khosa, Raiholela means literally pulling the branch off the tree. But its colloquial meaning, uh, more accurately, would be troublemaker. I do not believe that names are destiny or that my father somehow divined my future, but in later years, friends and relatives would ascribe to my birth name the many storms I have caused and weathered. So the name in itself is something, but its meaning takes us much deeper. 
Of course, we agree with what Nelson Mandela says, that the names we have at birth will not shape who we are. But if we think of what our names mean, sometimes the character comes through in it. So the depth of the name is as important as the name itself. So why go through all this? Because this morning we're going to learn about a name. A name that is so wide and so deep, we can't even scratch the surface of its true meaning. And in Scripture, in Exodus, we will learn in a moment or two that God gives us His name. Because when we know someone's name, there's a knowledge. So as you're walking down the street, you can greet someone by their name. And we all know what it's like. If we've been introduced to someone once, and we see them again and they remember our name, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel important to them, that they've remembered something about us. There's knowledge in knowing a name. But there's also connection. Connection in knowing someone's name, that you can call them in that casual, informal way, rather than in a more dignified way, perhaps, or in a more politically correct way with Mr. or Mrs. or Sir or Madam. Knowledge, connection with someone. In Genesis, God gave Adam the task of naming everything. It was Adam's task to name everything but one thing. That was God himself. Because there was no way that Adam could comprehend who God was to give him a name. And it isn't until Exodus that it is revealed to us. So in Exodus 3, we read where Moses is called by God at that incident with the burning bush. And Moses is to go and liberate, to free the people of Israel who are under slavery in Egypt. And Moses hears the voice of God coming out of that burning bush that is burning but not consumed. And God says, go. But Moses comes up with these excuses. I can't do it. One of the excuses he comes up with is, well, if I go to the people, who who am I to say sent me? Whose authority am I going in? And God came with the answer. And in his answer, he reveals his name. I am who I am. And Moses was to say, I am sent me to you. God reveals his name as something that seems so strange to us. I am. So what does it mean? Well, I am is something incredibly deep. It is an incredibly deep statement about God. It means something like, I am the living one, or I am the one that exists, or I am the one who will be with you. I am the one who I will be. We eventually come to know I am uh, in Exodus 3 and verse 16 as Yahweh, the name that was given in the Hebrew language for God. But behind these words lies the concept of a being who is quite unlike anyone or anything else. God's name of I am suggests that he is a being who is independent of everything else that exists and someone who cannot be contained. And with that comes the idea that God, uh, the being of God, is absolutely trustworthy and unchangeable. And it furthermore suggests that rather than being some remote uh, philosophical abstraction or vague force, God is the one who is someone. 
And the rest of the Bible spells it out. The rest of the Bible takes this term, I am, and opens it up to us. It explains to us that I am is your creator, savior, sustainer, leader, protector, healer, helper, judge, and comforter. This was the depth and the width of the meaning of I am. And to the Israelites, this was absolutely amazing. They were not only his chosen people with whom he had a covenant with that he would save them, but that they knew his name. And this was such a sacred thing. The name of God to a Jewish believer was the most sacred thing. So sacred that they never wrote it out in full. Rather, they substituted it with only the four consonants, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. And when they did come to write it down in Hebrew writing, how they would do it when they came to, to write down Yahweh, the scribe would go and wash, put on a full set of new clothes, use a new quill, write down the name, and then throw the quill away. And in our one commandment this morning, that would have had to have been done twice. A new quill for one purpose, to write the name of Yahweh. And when they came to read it aloud, they pronounced it, uh, or they substituted it with the Lord. And that's why in your Bible this morning, whenever you see the Lord in small caps, it means that in the original text, it is Yahweh. I am that word that was so sacred to the people of God. And if we're honest, this seems very strange and ritualistic to us. Why go through all this simply for writing or saying one name that we so easily say today as God or the Lord? For the people who were in covenant with God, this revealed to them who he was. To them, I am or Yahweh meant so much to them as a salvation people, as a covenant people, and as a people who respected the name of God and did not want to misuse it in any way. So let's take this into the New Testament and let's go to the God-man. Let's go to Jesus, God on earth. And the coming of Jesus means that we are brought into a whole new knowledge of God. Jesus means the Lord saves. And in Jesus there is a closeness and intimacy with God. If you like, Jesus became God with skin on. A little girl was fearful one night in her room, and her mother came in and said, Why are you afraid? And she says, I'm just afraid. I don't know what to do. And she said, Trust in God. She says, I don't want to trust in a God that I cannot see. I want to trust in a God with skin on. And folks, that's what Jesus is. God coming to earth. God with skin on. On. And in this God-man, Jesus models for us a way in which we treat and know God. And this, as we'll see in a moment, as Jesus presented, it came as a complete shock to his uh, Jewish hearers because Jesus observed everything. The full respect for the name of Jesus, or sorry, for the name of God, as any other Jew would do. But he introduced a new name for God. Jesus referred to God as Abba. Abba. Today, Daddy. And of course, he had every right to as being the Son of God. But what Jesus models is something for us to follow, that we can call our Father God, Abba. 
And this displays the intimacy and confidence of a child with a parent. In all of this, Jesus never played down the majesty of God, the awesomeness of God. This was not some little catch name that he would just uh, nicely refer to his father God. In Abba, Jesus was giving God the full respect and awe and glory that was due his name. So in saying Abba, Jesus presented God to us who was not remote, but accessible in everything and in every way. He's not just a Lord. He is our Heavenly Father. He is Yahweh, Abba. So that's the background to this commandment. Why the name of God is so sacred to a people who followed it and still do, and why it should be sacred to us today. So we could draw a line and say that's a great little lesson about what it means, but how do we take this into later on today? How do we today stop ourselves from misusing the name of God, our Savior, our Comforter? Well, I want to suggest to you four things that we can think about And the first is the most obvious, the one that we have all known, and that is, don't swear. It seems so simple. Don't swear. If you look up the 1995 edition of the Concise Oxford Dictionary, the entry under Jesus, under the word Jesus, is as follows. Jesus, colloquial interjection. An ex, uh, exclamation of surprise, dismay, etc. And then in brackets, name of founder of Christian religion, deceased, Circe A.D. 30. Society views Jesus as a swear word, as something you say when things haven't gone your way, in whatever shape it takes. And only after that does this view, this worldview, see Jesus as the founder of the Christian religion. There is no mention that he is the Son of God or the fulfillment of God's salvation plan. And I wonder, does that shock you? Because for us, Jesus is so accessible in our thinking. Because we have an understanding at whatever level it is at, we understand something sacred about Jesus Christ, something divine about him. So does a dictionary definition like this shock us. That first, it's a swear word, and second, in fact, in brackets, he is the name of the founder of the Christian religion. I think many, many of us even here have become so numb to the way that God's name is widely abused in our society. So what can we do? Well, firstly, yes, we can watch our language And make sure that we don't use God's name in a way that is dishonoring to him. We can be prepared to take people to task for it. And this can be done in imaginative and sensitive ways. It's not about being the the prude in the corner. But it's about engaging with people and helping them understand why this name is the most precious name above all other names. And another way that we can uh, help in not misusing the the name of God by swearing, is that we can let our voices be heard. 
We can write. We can telephone. UTV, the BBC, Channel 5, the regulator, whoever. And you may think, Mary Whitehouse is long gone. But if we are serious about the name of God, if we are serious that he is our Savior and our Redeemer, if we are serious that he is the most important thing in our lives, we will want to honor God's name in every aspect of society. Because if we don't, we become just like society. We become pluralistic. In other words, everything goes for everyone, as long as they're convicted themselves what is right and what is wrong. I believe the Bible says we are to stand up for the name of God, not to be prudes, not to be people uh, who are counter culture in many ways. Yes, we are as we are believers and disciples, but we're not to be so uh, distinguished out of the world, but yet we can still feed into the world the things that displease us and the things that we find difficult to measure with Scripture. How easy is it to send an email? to lift the telephone, to write a letter. It will take 10 minutes of your time. And what happens? I've heard statistics many times, somewhere between 10 and 40. If you send in one letter, one phone call, the broadcasting organizations will count it as 30 or 40 responses of the same thinking. And they take it seriously. Honor the name of God and don't misuse it help society to understand that it is a name that is far greater than any other. So, don't swear. The second is don't name drop with God. Because there's far more to this commandment than open blaspheming. And growing up, that's all I thought this commandment was about. Don't say bad words. But the commandment is much deeper because the next thing that we should consider is that we don't name drop with God. This means that we don't use God's name for our own gain. Examples of this include politics, where politicians use the Christianity card and God's name to ensure more votes from a particular segment of society. God has been used to justify apartheid in South Africa and death camps in Nazi Germany. And this type of abuse isn't just used at political or national level. It can also occur in individuals and in churches. We can use God's name to further our own projects or make us look good. We can name drop God into our conversations so that it seems we are more holy than we are. Let me be very honest with you and say that one of my feelings in life is name dropping. I can't help it. It's something that I try to stop, but it keeps coming out. And what good does it do me? Well, it may give me some credibility for two or three minutes with someone. Oh, he knows such and such, or he spent time with such and such. But what will it give me in the long run? Not much at all. Name dropping. It's something I think we all do from time to time. But name dropping God we cannot do. Because name-dropping God is abusing his name to get our own ways rather than his ways. And this moves us into another area of name-dropping that we see in church circles. We try to justify an end result by saying, the Lord showed me that. 
And the problem is that sometimes statements like this can be true, but a statement like this can also be used for our own personal gain whenever it's not God's will at all. I want to be very clear. I am not saying that God does not speak today. He does. But what I'm saying is that we take the teaching of 1 John chapter 4 that says we test the spirits. We need to test them before we pronounce uh, some edict that the Lord has shown me that. And then collectively we must test it also so that we are sure that it is the true word of God and that we are not abusing his name. So don't swear, don't name drop with God. Don't cheat God's honor. We can also misuse the name of God by not using his name at all. How this works, we take the glory. We think that it's all of us, and we leave God to the sidelines. Let him come in every now and again and do what he has to do, and yeah, we'll give him credit sometimes, but then he'll go back out again, and we'll relegate him to where we want him to be. We need to honor God. Because God is the only one who does things in us and through us. Salvation is no merit of our own. It is only through him. We must honor his name by not cheating him out of his honor. By allowing God to be seen and reflected in every aspect of our lives. And allowing him to take the glory. So don't swear. Don't name drop with God. Don't cheat God out of his honor. And finally... Don't live an inconsistent life. I think our society today is sharper tuned to fraud. There's more of it about, so we're more uh, tuned to see it when it comes. And so we can see when someone is misusing the name of God. Their words and their actions don't always line up. And so we raise a question mark. We're concerned here uh, with what we profess We can say all the right things, do what is seen as right, and go to the places where we're expected to be and not be in a relationship with God, but yet claim that we are Christians, but not having God in our hearts. It's a little bit like this. It's like the picture of adoption. Some of you may know that I am adopted. I uh, was given over in adoption at three months And what adoption entitled me was the rights of the family that I was adopted into. I got their name. I got their emotional attachment. And I got the full rights of being a son simply because this family had opened their arms and taken me in. That's what adoption is. I have every right to trade under the name McCullough. Yes, legally, but also emotionally because this family wanted me and took me in. Now, if I had been born in the same circumstances, but was not adopted, and found this family, McCullough, and thought, I'm going to follow them around, and then I'm going to start using their name, and then I'm going to start trading under that name, I'm going to say that I am a son of McCullough, I have no emotional or legal rights to that whatsoever. I am not adopted into the family. I am misusing and abusing their name and have no right to do so. In life, it can be easy to go around and say that we are Christians, that we are believers in Jesus Christ. 
but we do not know the adoption into the family of God. And in that family, we receive the full entitlement that is due his children. We are leading a life that is inconsistent. What we think is not what is reality. And the reverse is the same. We can know a saving faith, but refuse to live a life that reflects a solid faith in Jesus Christ. We abuse the name of God by claiming him, but not living in a way that shows that I am his child. And this is where our reading in Luke 6 comes in this morning. It's a familiar story, the wise and the foolish builders, but it all starts with Jesus challenging the people, saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but yet do not do what I say? In other words, they were going because they enjoyed the name, following him around, hearing him and teach, seeing the miracles, but they weren't willing to do what he said. They liked the name, but they do not like the way of life. And if they remain on that path, the foundation of their lives will fall away. And so it is with us. If we use God's name but not accept his way of life, we are building on a false foundation. So, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. God's name is precious. I am so precious, the Jews found it hard to say and write down, and so they came up with what God presented them with a solution in Yahweh. We need to be careful how we use it and how it is used around us. The commandment is clear. To misuse God's name will have the consequences of being held guilty of abusing it. So this week, How can we try to ensure that we do not misuse God's name? How can we give him the glory, the splendor, and authority that is due to him, our Father God? None of us would ever like our names or the names of our loved ones to be abused. And so it is with the God who loves us who has won us and saved us and opens us up to a way of salvation if we truly, truly love him, will we want to misuse and abuse his name or will we want to honor it in everything we do in life? Let's pray.